Welcome to Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. It is our pleasure and privilege to present to you the gospel message of the sovereign grace and glory of God in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today's program will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening, and now for today's program. Welcome to our program today. I'm glad you could join us. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 14 and, and a little bit in John chapter 13 at the end of that chapter. And the title of the message is The Way, The Truth, and The Life. And that title comes from John 14 and verse 6 where Jesus told His disciples, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, I want to go back to John chapter 13 to lead up to the statement that he made there. And of course, that is such a full statement that tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is everything in the salvation of his people. He's the way, the way of salvation, the way to God, the way of righteousness, we sing a hymn, the way of the cross leads home. That's how he got, that's how he came to be what, what uh, glorified in his uh, capacity as God in human flesh, mediator. And he is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Uh, everything that we know about God savingly is, is revealed in the person and work of Christ. And then he is the life, the life of his people. He's the, he's the life giver, the life sustainer. And uh, he's the tree of life. So what a statement that Christ is all and in all the Bible says. Well, back up in John 13, as I preached last week concerning the, the Son of Man glorified, this is the uh, time when he, in the upper room when he uh, brought Judas out of the closet basically as the betrayer and sent him away to do what he had to do. And as I said last week, the, the wheels of God's providence began rolling right here. And little, I'll just read verse 31 of John 13. I preached on these last week. It says, Therefore, when he was gone out, when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. His glory as the Redeemer. He's the surety of his people. There's, I, the sins of his people were charged, accounted, imputed to him when he was made surety in the everlasting covenant of grace before the world began. And then he's the substitute of his people. He came to this earth <clears throat> and took into union with his deity, his, himself, a perfect sinless humanity created in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. And he became God-man. And, and that's what he had to do to be the proper substitute to take the place of his people under the law. The Bible says that in the fullness, this is Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, in the fullness of the time, 
God sent forth his son made under the law. And that means he became subject to his own law because the whole salvation of his people, his sheep, God's elect, was conditioned on him. And he had to keep the law unto death. So he was made under the law. He was made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. So Christ in his glory, we, his, his uh, ministers point to him and he, he brings us to the Father on the basis or the ground of his blood, his righteousness imputed to his people. And that's how salvation is brought, brings about the glory of God as both a just God and a Savior. And so he says in verse 32, If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. That's speaking of Christ as the mediator. You see, in his nature as God, he's always glorified. But as God-man who finished the work of salvation, righteousness and redemption, he was raised from the dead. And he ascended on high unto the Father. And he's now sat down, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for his people. So that he's my advocate. He's my intercessor. He's my mediator. And that's his glorification that he's speaking of here. So he says in verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews... Whither I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. So he's telling his disciples, the 11 that are left there. He's saying, I'm going somewhere where you can't go. Because you see, Christ is the representative, and as, and as I always say, the surety, substitute, and redeemer of his people. And he did that work alone. He by himself, Hebrews 1 tells us, purged our sins, the sins of his sheep. He didn't have any help from me or you or from the disciples. And as I mentioned last week, they all fled. Peter denied him. He did it by himself. He's the only one who could do this great work. And as per our text in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, not you. It's not me and you are the way. He said, I am the way. Christ is the way. Christ by himself is the way. Christ by himself is the truth. Christ by himself is the life. The life of his people. You see that? And so he says, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Then he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, what he's telling them, this is a new command. You know, the, the law was always summarized as love God perfectly and love your neighbors yourself. But this new commandment is in the gospel context that brings God's people as sinners saved by grace, the fellowship of faith, into the close fellowship of truth and love that binds them together. And that's a new commandment because that's not just the general love that we're to show to everybody. 
That's, that, this is a special love. This is that agape love that, that binds believers together against the world. It's, a, it's, like, it's like your family. Look, think about your earthly family. Now, you can say you try to love everybody, and, and you should try to love everybody, even your enemies. But there's a special love bond between husbands and wives and children, family members. You see what I'm saying? And that's what this is. This is a spiritual, familial love that binds believers together in the faith. And that's why it's a new commandment. So he says in verse 35, and I want you to take note of this verse. He says, by this, that is this love, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now I want you to look at a verse over in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Now notice again what he said in John 13, 35. By this, this love, loving one another, shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, let me read you this verse over in 1 John 3, verse 1. Now listen to this. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, now notice this, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now, does that sound like a contradiction to you? Over here he says, by this shall all know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. And then over here he says, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It didn't know Christ. How do you jibe these two? Well, think about it. When he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another, he's not saying that by this the world will know that you're a true Christian. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying in John 13, 35 is by this love that binds you together in the truth and in the faith will show all people that you're a follower of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And what he says, you'll say. You're a disciple of him. Well, remember what he said to the Pharisees. He said, you're hypocrites. He said, you appear outwardly righteous unto men, but inside you're dead. Well, his disciples who are bound together by their love for him and love for one another, they'll say the same thing. And it'll be just like the Sanhedrin, the court of the Jews, when they brought Peter and James and John up on charges. They said, you've been with this Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he's talking about in John 13, 35. They didn't look at Peter and James and John and say, well, you you guys are are children of God and we see how much you love us. No, that's not what they were saying. They hated Christ and they hated his disciples. And that's what John is saying over in 1 John 3, 1. They won't know you because they didn't know Christ. 
And I've heard people say, well, people need to recognize our love before they'll hear our truth. My friend, the world, unbelieving world, does not know to recognize that love which is of God. That new commandment. And they'll actually sometimes see it as hate. As being mean and harsh. John chapter 3, this is the light that men... Uh, men love darkness and hate the light. This is the condemnation that men love darkness and hate the light. And so what the Sanhedrin was saying to Peter and James and John basically is we hate Jesus and we hate you too and we recognize that you're together with Jesus. And I, I don't know if that's made clear to you but you think about what I'm saying. To stand together in the truth of the gospel which exposes the world as being lost and idolatrous. That's the recognition that he's talking about here in John 13, 35. They'll recognize you've been, you've been with this man Jesus who says the same thing. He says we're lost. If I tell you that if, if I in talking to you and I find out that you believe salvation by works, and I say, well, you're lost. And somebody else, a brother in Christ, my brother, comes up and says, well, I agree with him. You're lost. You're going to recognize that he and I are together. That we're followers of the same Jesus who would tell you you're lost too. So he says in verse 36, look at look John 13, 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest? Now, remember he told him, he said, where I'm going, you can't go. Peter says, where are you going? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now, historical tradition says that Peter was crucified too. Most say he was crucified upside down. I'm not sure about all that, but it could have been true, and that's okay. But Christ is going to die. And he's telling Peter, he says, well... Where I'm going, you can't follow me. I'm going to die. His death was a success and a redemption for his people. But Peter's going to die too. All of them were going to die. In verse 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And listen to what he tells Peter. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice, three times. Peter had every good intention. Peter's just like all of us. If we're saved, sinners saved by grace and sometimes our, our tongues get ahead of our brains. And he spoke up loudly. He said, I'll die for you. Well, when the time came, he didn't. He denied Christ. He didn't lose his salvation, though, because he was a sinner saved by grace. And the Bible says, after he denied Christ three times, he wept bitterly with tears. How many times have we who are saved, in some way, if not by what we say, but by our silence, have denied him? Only a sinner saved by grace. That's my story. We'll go on to chapter 14 now. After telling Peter what he told him, he knew that Peter would be troubled and some of the other disciples too. 
So he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You have that assurance, see, that in believing in Christ, trusting him for all salvation, all righteousness, I have no righteousness but that which is in Christ. He is the Lord my righteousness. Believing in him for all life, you believe in God. And in my Father's house, he says in verse 2, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And look at what he says. I go to prepare a place for you. Christ is the one who makes preparation for his people in glory in the new earth, the new heavens. We don't, we don't make preparation for that. We do prepare in the sense of believing in Christ. But he's the builder of the mansion. And I know people go to verses like this and say, well, there's going to be mansions in heaven, then there's going to be little huts. And if you do a lot of works, you'll get a mansion. If you, if you don't do a lot of works, you'll get the hut or the cabin or whatever. That's, that's crazy. That's just man's way of trying to interject his own works into the scheme of grace. And it's a denial of grace. If righteousness come by law, Christ is dead in vain. You're, by grace are you saved. Not by works. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And He says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's His second coming. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And that applies to all of his people. All for whom he died. All whom the Father gave to him before the foundation of the world. Do you remember that? John 6, 37. He said, all that the Father give to me, cometh to me, and I will in no wise cast him out. He said, this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Over, over here in John 17, this beautiful prayer that the Lord prayed on behalf of his disciples, his people, his sheep, his elect. Listen to what he says in John 17, 1. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Speaking of his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. And look at verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, nothing accepted, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Not one sinner for whom Christ died on that cross will perish. There'll be plenty of room in heaven, but there'll be no vacancies. And he says, this is life eternal, verse 3, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And what's it based on? We'll look at verse 4. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that which thou gavest me to do. And this was determined before the world began. Look at verse 5 of John 17. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee 
before the world was. And who is going to be brought into this truth and this fellowship? Look at verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Sinners saved by grace. Now go back to John 14. He says in verse 4, And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Well, Thomas, verse 5, one of his disciples, saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And this is when it comes. Verse 6. Well, Jesus said unto him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, he had spoken to his disciples many times about these issues of salvation. But just like weak, pitiful human beings that we are, these disciples, they were weak and pitiful and human. And these things had to be told over and over and over again to them. You see, the disciples, the apostles, the prophets, all the the patriarchs, they they were not superhuman moralists. The Bible records many of them doing great things, but it wasn't by their own power or their own goodness. And the Bible also records all of their faults. Listen to what he says to Philip here. He says, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 7, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know Him and have seen Him. Christ is the revelation of the Father. He's the revelation of the Spirit and the Son, who He is. You see that? The Bible says in Colossians 2, 9, that in Him bodily dwells, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Bible says that when the Spirit reveals Christ to us and the assurance of the promises of the gospel of salvation by grace, that is when we are made partakers of the divine nature. Partakers meaning fellowship, the divine nature meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's through the revelation of the Spirit who shows us the assurance of the promises of salvation, which are in Christ, that were brought spiritually into the fellowship of the Godhead. So what he says here, you know, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, look at verse 8 of John 14. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and that sufficeth. Well, he had shown them before. But look at verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, that Christ the Son and the Father are one in purpose and nature? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, 
but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now Christ is not some kind of a lesser God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, co-equal in every attribute. But what he's saying is he and the Father and the Spirit are one and the same in that message. Back over here when he, when he talks about uh, his submission to the Father, that was for the purpose of the salvation of his people. And so when he says back here, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he's speaking honestly, purposefully, the way to God, the truth of God, the life of God. And he says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now that sounds like he's saying, well, if you can't believe my word, just look at what I've done. And in essence, there's some element of truth to that, but what he had done supports his word so that you can't believe in just say, well, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he arose again and not believe his word. If he is the way, the truth, and the life, his word is true. His word is worth believing. So he says, believe me for the very work's sake. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, he's not talking about that his people are going to do a work of redemption. But what he's talking about is the gospel message going out. And what he's talking about in the greater works is that, is that gospel message after his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension unto the Father, that gospel work is going to go all out over the Gentile world. That's the greater work he's speaking of. Now, when it comes to salvation, there's no greater work than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Nothing can supersede that. Nothing can go beyond that. That is the fullness of salvation. That's the finishing, the making an end of sin and finishing. But the gospel going out is a greater work in number, in magnitude. It's not going to be confined to the Jewish people. It's going to go out to the Gentiles, and many will believe. Many will, say, will see this, in the, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what he says. Whatsoever you shall do in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Talking about salvation there. All right. I hope you'll join us next week for another message from God's Word. We are glad you could join us for another edition of Reign of Grace. This program is brought to you by Reign of Grace Media Ministries, an outreach ministry of Eager Avenue Grace Church in Albany, Georgia. To receive a copy of today's program or to learn more about Reign of Grace Media Ministries or Eager Avenue Grace Church, write us at 1102 Eager Drive, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Contact us by phone at 229-432-6969 or email us through our website 
at www.theletterrofgrace.com. Thank you again for listening today, and may the Lord be with you.